The Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference presents Want a security clearance? This is what you need to know. A professional development seminar. Featuring Industrial Security Officer for General Dynamics Corporation, Doretta Boazzo. Senior Information System Security Engineer for the National Security Agency, Robin Johnson and Program Manager for Continuous Evaluation for the U.S. Intelligence Community, Anita Hawkins. As you create your master plan for success, consider the variety of tools needed to gain a competitive edge in your industry. By familiarizing yourself with the extensive U.S. security clearance process, you can prepare to access opportunities that will help you excel. This seminar will guide you through the process of getting and keeping a U.S. security clearance. We will also explore the future and emerging career opportunities that require various clearance levels. Without further ado, the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference presents Want a Security Clearance? This is what you need to know. Featuring Doretta Boazzo, Robin Johnson, and Anita Hawkins. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and um, get started with some of the housekeeping things that we have to do. First of all, I want to welcome you to uh, WANA Security Clearance. This is what you need to know. Um, my name is Doretta Boazzo. We have Anita Hawkins and Robin Johnson on our panel here. Um, I would encourage you, if you're interested, to come on up front. Uh, they've asked that we uh, let you know that this session is being recorded. So if you have uh, questions that you're going to want to ask, please step up to the microphone so that your question will be clearly recorded and they'll have the answers as well, all right? Um, first of all, let's see. Uh, if you haven't had your badge scanned, please have your badge scanned. Uh, also, you can register at the Morgan State University table in order to receive continuing education units or professional development hours, and they're out in that main lobby. I'm sure you've passed them like a million times, and the woman's sitting there so patiently, so she'd love to see you. Um, there will be a seminar survey, and the link will be sent to you via the registration site. Please uh, provide your feedback so that we can figure out what would be the best way to serve uh, the needs of future STEM conferences. Also, the slides will be posted after the conference and can be viewed at www slideshare.net backslash ccgmag. Um, also, uh, please stay in touch with other BEA conference attendees by downloading the BEA app. And you can follow BEA Technology on Twitter or join them on Facebook at BEA STEM. All right? Okie doke. All right, what we're talking about today is basically a personal, a personnel security clearance. Um, I have a couple people in the room that I, I saw in the elevators and encouraged them to come to this because they indicated that they were interested in possibly having a security clearance with the United States government. And so we are going to, see I told you I would shout you out. <laughs> um, so we're going to go through what it is and what it takes to get one. And also our panelists have had clearances for years. They also work in the environment. Um, where they work with engineers and individuals in many um, STEM fields who have clearances and can benefit the uh, government agencies. And they'll be able to tell you how having a clearance can fit into the work that they require uh, for their employee. Okay? All right, first of all, 
A personnel security clearance is basically the determination that an employee is eligible for access to government classified information based on the review of these five things, okay? Um, and obviously, each individual is different from the person next to them. Um, you know, you have different neighbors, you have different coworkers, you have different employment backgrounds, you have different credit. Um, hopefully, you have similar law enforcement, which would be zero records. <laughs> um, but for the most part, the, the clearance that you are processing for is not exactly the same as the person next to you. Okay, because the adjudication of your case is going to be different of the person next to you. So when people say, oh, I'm going through a clearance, and you say, me too, don't compare yourselves beyond that, because the time can very change and vary per person. Okay? Uh, the clearances that I'm experienced in processing, because that's what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, are clearances within the Department of Defense. Now, underneath the Department of Defense, you have other agencies, um, but for the most part, we're going to kind of keep it to the Navy, the Army, the Air Force, the Marines kind of fit under the Navy, but that's, with, that's the umbrella that we'll be talking about within the Department of Defense. Okay. Basically, what they do is they gather all this information on very lengthy forms from you, and you sign that the information that you've put on the forms is, in fact, correct. And they check into your loyalty, your character, whether or not you're trustworthy or reliable. Because as you can imagine, if you're working for the Defense Department, your job is to defend the United States. And we would want people who have these qualities um, because those individuals would be key to protecting our nation's security and our service women and men in the battlefield. These are the kind of threats that our Department of Defense is trying to um, defend against, okay? Foreign intelligence services. I'm sure you're all watching the news and very aware of some of the things that are bringing us under attack. Also, those that would wish to overthrow the government by illegal means, and of course, the terrorist groups. Why is it necessary again? Because we want to counter the threats to individuals who are susceptible to pressure or improper influence. We don't really want someone to have a security clearance who would be dishonest. It would be like having the fox in the hen house, so to speak. So when you hear uh, the push on insider threat, that's the kind of thing that they're talking about. We are looking for individuals who have integrity um, and who have demonstrated a behavior that they value the requirements of loyalty and trustworthiness. Um, that means if, can y'all hear me? If you're at the club, at a restaurant, and you're working, and someone's sitting next to you and try to chat you up, that is could be a potential insider threat or an adversary trying to gain information from you about your job, right? So you have to be careful if you were ever to have a clearance on how you move outside your workspace. Sorry. I've actually had um, a young man who worked for me who basically, as he put it to me, he said, I am not a 10. This girl was a 10, and she was talking to me, and she was asking me all kinds of questions about you know, who I was, and she wanted my number. He said, I, just, I was suspicious about that. And I said, good. You were supposed to be suspicious about it. I said, did she ever call you? He said, no. I said, okay. 
But those, those are the kinds of things that when you have a security clearance, you actually have to have that going on in the back of your mind because you have information that if it gets out, it could cause grave damage to our nation's security. And that's the war fighters out who defend our country every day, the Air Force, the Marines, and our service members. And um, in our particular agencies that we work, um, we have systems that they rely on and depend on. And depending if you have an engineering degree, cybersecurity degree, software, your knowledge and skill set is used to build something, an application, a system of systems to help the warfighter or defend our, our country. All right. In order to get a personnel security clearance, you have to have a job that basically requires you to have access to classified information. And um, I guess the one thing I want to really get, get through is a contractor, a company like General Dynamics or Northrop Grumman or Boeing or Lockheed Martin, they will process you for the clearance if necessary, but they do not own the clearance. The clearance is actually owned by the United States government. The authority for giving you that clearance is reserved by the government. So, and as you can imagine, in, the, in our government, we have different departments, okay? We have Department of um, Defense, we have Department of Agriculture, Department of the Interior. Each of those departments have their own security clearances, and they play in the same sandbox, but they don't go home to the same house. I guess that's the easiest way to explain, because their missions are different. So if we're talking about a personnel security clearance for the Department of Defense, that's the sandbox that I know a little bit more about and that's what we're talking about here because go ahead I'm sorry Robert. another way um to um to uh, another way would be if you had a bakery so the national security agency is the bakery that specializes in sweet potato pie and all the ingredients that make it the bomb sweet potato pie ODNI may have a, uh, a bakery that specializes in donuts, and they're responsible for all the ingredients for that donut. Both bakeries, a different set of ingredients, a different need to know. So I would not need to know the ingredients for the donuts, and she would not need to know the ingredients for my bomb sweet potato pie. <laughs> I haven't had that pie. We'll be talking about that after this. Okay, um, let me go into a little bit more about what the different levels of security clearances are, okay? A top secret security clearance, and generally um, when you hear people say talk about need to know or a sensitive compartmented information um, access, sometimes with a polygraph required, piggybacks with that um, top secret level clearance. And basically what that would mean if you have the clearance is that the information that you're protecting, if it is lost, it could result in exceptionally grave damage to our nation's security. Um, we also have, you know, just, I, I, I don't want to say just minimal damage because any damage to our nation's security is bad. But you can understand the difference between exceptionally grave and serious, okay? 
Um, some of the advantages of having a security clearance is it gives a company like mine the ability to compete for United States government contracts uh, that would be classified, that would provide the opportunity for um, working with technology that may not be available in other locations, okay? Like a space system, a missile system, um, an aircraft, an aircraft carrier group, a boat, a ship, a sweet potato pie, anything that... Um... <laughs> so as you can imagine, some of those systems are very specialized. And you would be required then to sign non-disclosure agreements and understand that if that information got into the wrong hand, it could cause a serious issue for the people that you're trying to protect, okay? Having a clearance also gives you a competitive edge um, as a company because it lets you, you hire people that would be um, working on really extensive contracts. Um, General Dynamics competes with some of the other contractors that you've seen here in the hall, and we're all looking forward to having um, qualified candidates apply for our positions. But it wouldn't be unusual for me to be working on the same contract as a person from another um, com com company, excuse me, um, because what happens is we would all work together to serve the government contract that would be needed. And they would work on specific things, as Robin said, you know, the people that bring the flour, maybe General Dynamics. The people that bring the eggs, maybe Lockheed Martin. But you need all of them together to come up with a successful product. Okay. What are some of the criterias for having a clearance? Well, the applicant has to be um, in, in, this, in the Department of Defense. The, the applicants would have to be uh, US citizens, most likely. Um, they would have to be stable. They would have to be trustworthy, reliable of excellent character, judgment, and discretion, and more importantly than anything, unquestionable loyalty to the United States. Yes? Do they have to be a number one citizen? No. Okay. This, these are some of the things that the applicant should not be doing. They shouldn't advocate use of force or violence to overthrow the government. Basically, we wouldn't want a terrorist in, in the situation here. Um, they have to be, um, they don't want you to be subject to mental, physical, or other forms of duress which you could be if you were being blackmailed. So that's why they're going through the pro process of vetting you in the, um, in the way that they do it. It's, I mean, if you have any friends who have gone through the clearance process or are going through it right now, they will tell you it takes a very long time um, because they go back, they ask your neighbors, they ask your friends, they, with, especially right now with the ability that they have to get records from everywhere, um, you know, they'll, they'll look at your law enforcement records, they'll look at your college uh, registration, they'll try to find any kind of police reports that they might find on you. Um, you know, they'll, like I said, they ask your neighbors what kind of character you might be. Um, you know, so if there's that lady in the neighborhood that you're not real fond of, be nice to her, because that's probably exactly where the investigator is going to go. <laughs> um, uh, one of the things that they ask you to do is to pr prove that you are a U.S. citizen and these are the things that they use. You either would use a, an original birth certificate or an original passport um, or a naturalization certificate. Your security officer will help you work with your forms to make sure that you provide the right ones that are submitted to the government. Okay. First of all, the candidates would complete, with the security officer's help, this questionnaire called the SF-86, or some people have heard it called the EQIP. Um, the EQIP is basically the electronic version of the SF-86, and it 
right now, I think the, the most recent copy that's out there is probably 121 pages. And it's one of those ones that if you, if you answer yes to this, please go back and answer that. So be very careful when you're answering those questions because in the end, when you sign the dotted line at the back, you're verifying that those answers are in fact true. And they will be used to make a judgment on your character. Um, they also will take your fingerprints to check your, um, your records and release forms that authorize them to go and talk to your neighbors and friends. They also will talk to medical professionals. Um, they'll get information from banks and law enforcement, all based on the uh, release forms that you sign. Then all those forms come back to the security officer and we put them in the exact order that they need to be. And I know it may not sound like it's important, but um, for all the security officers that are out there gathering papers, it all funnels down to maybe five people in each agency that has to go through those packages. So be nice to your security officer because if they don't put things in the right order and the lady who has to do, you know, 15 packets today gets to yours and one seems to be missing, she's gonna put it aside and move on to the other ones she has. So it's important for your security officer to do their job as well as they can to work with them when they ask you for something and you say, didn't I just give you that? Yes, you might have, but maybe, this, maybe the signature was cut off or maybe the paper didn't scan correctly or because we are now using an electronic system and I will tell you, some of the older birth certificates, they don't scan very clearly, and so everything comes out dark. You folks all know. So we have to be careful that we get our information in there. We do a good job, though, right, Tia? I'm Tia's security officer, so. <laughs> okay. As appropriate, here's some of the things that the investigations include. When I say a field interview of references, I also tell you those investigators are usually required to do probably between 30 and 45 interviews a week. So they're not just working on your case, they're working on a bunch of cases at the same time. And when you fill out the forms, you give them three, um, three people to verify information with you. Well, what they're supposed to do is ask those individuals for more character witnesses. So it takes a long time for those people to get that information. And if you don't live in the area, or if you were born abroad, became a US citizen, or went abroad to do some educational um, internships or something like that, they have to account for that time. So that's why I'm telling you that your case isn't the same as the person next to you. Because if, if your friend spent their senior year in Brussels, because they will go back to probably your 16th birthday, okay? Um, you know, they're gonna have to find out what happened in Brussels you know, what was going on over there, all right? So as you can see, they do records checks and making sure that you paid your rent on time, that, you know, you're, you don't have any outstanding bills that could cause someone to say, you know, if you sell me this secret, I'll give you this amount of money, and then we have a problem, okay? And then you will also end up with a personal interview um, with the investigator, and they will ask you questions like, have you ever been overseas? Have you ever um, compromised a classified system? Have you ever hacked into something? Um, and I have to tell you, those skills are necessary for some of the jobs that are available. So we want you to be truthful. Um, and you know, the, every, everything has its place. That's the way I'll put it, okay? What would cause somebody to be disqualified? Well. 
as I will tell you, this has probably been the one thing that is causing the most problem um, right now. Marijuana is still considered illegal within the federal government. So, if you are a regular user of marijuana, even in a state that permits legal use, that's going to be an issue. Um, obviously, if it is something that may have been medicinally um, prescribed for you, if you can talk to your investigator, talk to your doctor, find another alternative, and can work out a situation where you are not using that, um, that for medication or any other purpose, there is probably a very good chance that you would still get the clearance. But it would, as, you can say, as you can see, there would be mitigating circumstances, and obviously a period of time would have to, have to pass. Or because we just had a big hiring event at our agency, is that um, at a local college, is that uh, the question says, have you, and you say yes, but if you are now, uh, you should stop and give yourself at least a year to mitigate that. Yes, ma'am. If it's legalized, would it be treated the same way as alcohol, or is it still Well, right now it's illegal in the federal, in the federal uh, law. So we don't know what's going to happen as it continues to progress, because as you can imagine, situations change. Um, so I guess we'll wait till somebody makes that decision. And part of, part of something that just came out with the agencies that I support is the, um, the fact that they don't want you, because people were knowingly buying stock in companies that sold those kinds of products knowing that of course they anticipated the stock to go up. So you really aren't supposed to be making money off of anything that would be a vice. No more than we would expect you to be a pimp or be involved in human trafficking. I mean, this is the kind of thing, I mean, seriously, you have to be of you know unquestionable integrity because the individuals that we're hiring for these jobs are protecting our nation. They're protecting your families as you sleep. They're protecting you. I mean, what chaos would be going on if everybody got to do or determine what they thought was important? So we have a standard, and that's a standard that we're asking people who have clearances to adhere to. And um, one other thing that they just started um, testing for, um, no CBD oils. And uh, prescription medication. So when they call you up, you go to work, and they're like, okay, it's your turn to go do your analysis. Um, if you're on medication, that medication has to be prescribed to you. And so obviously, you know, the opioid big epidemic. So that's another thing that they want you to have a clear head and clear mind. So don't take medication that does not belong to you. And that's one of the things, when you sign the release forms, one of the release forms that you sign is a medical release form. Yeah. So they're gonna to go to your doctor and say, you know, we're here to talk to you about this individual, what medication are they on? Yes? You mentioned CBD oils, doesn't mean the prescription is not illegal. Well, as I said, because, from what I've, I've recently been told, specifically from the NSA, they just put out a document actually a couple weeks ago. They cannot verify by the labeling because it is not controlled by the Food and Drug Administration. 
that the CBD oil really does not have any amount of THC in it. And even then, they can't measure the percentage, so there could be something in it. I mean, because I've had individuals say to me, well, it's sort of like, you know, the supplements, we take the supplements, but because it is not approved by food and drug, they prefer that, you know, that person not be part of their clearance process, okay? Okay, what about unfair discrimination? As you, can, as you can remember, there probably was a real problem with discrimination many, many years ago, and it's becoming less and less. Applicants for clearances are treated impartially and consistently, regardless of their gender, race, marital status, age, ethnic origin, religious affiliation, and sexual orientation. Back in the day, that was an issue, but I am happy to say that is going away. Okay? What safeguards are in place? Well, not only do the, the individuals that have clearances have to meet the highest standards of integrity and personal conduct, they also go through reviews periodically. So even if someone gets a clearance today, we have a process that um, had been going on for many years called periodic reinvestigation. And what that meant was whether or not you had a secret clearance, a confidential clearance, or a top secret clearance, every so many years, based on the type of clearance you had, your um, situation would be um, reinvestigated. And um, what we are starting to do now, because of a lot of the benefit of the digital era, is we're doing something called continuous evaluation. And that's something that um, Anita can speak to a bit, because this is something that she's actually the program manager for within the, um, the DNI. Would you like to explain a little bit about continuous evaluation? Yeah. Sure. So after um, Manning provided unauthorized disclosures of classified information, Snowden, and then of course we had the Navy Yard incident, Aaron Alexis, Congress decided something had to be done to better determine the continued eligibility of those individuals who either held clearances or worked in sensitive positions. If, as you can imagine, in a, in a large organization where you may have thousands of people who have clearances, and the fact that these periodic reinvestigations, if you have a secret clearance, only occur every 10 years, and if you have a top secret clearance, the periodic reinvestigations only occur every five, a lot of life happens in between there. And we want to be able to maintain a trusted workforce, and so we will not assume, however, that everyone is going to understand what the reporting requirements are and provide security officials with what could potentially be disqualifying information. So, in order to be able to check all these records on a continuous basis, uh, we had to apply technology. So, continuous evaluation is a personnel security investigative process that uses technology, specifically uh, IT systems, to continually review security relevant information of each clearance holder, each person in a sensitive position, to ensure that uh, they have not been involved with activities that are potentially disqualifying. And I say potentially because no single derogatory event uh, is going to necessarily mean your clearance is going to be revoked. 
There are, of course, mitigating circumstances. Um, but the major advantage of continuous evaluation is that these records checks are provided through an IT system that will check public records, government records, on a daily, quarterly, or biannually basis. Biannual basis. So, what are we? What, what kinds of records are checked? I, I think we've already touched on it, but specifically, uh, I'll go back to the SF-86. I'm really curious. How many people in here have actually seen an SF-86? It's the questionnaire for national security positions. So. Uh, there are a number of questions, and I think the first one that may be asked is uh, whether or not, well, questions that will get to your allegiance to the United States, because you must unquestionably have allegiance to the U.S., which means you will also be asked if you have foreign contacts, foreign bank, bank accounts, you'll be asked about your foreign travel in order for the adjudicator to assess your allegiance or your susceptibility to being coerced by a foreign element. Uh, in addition to foreign travel, you're asked if you've ever had major delinquencies, bankruptcies, uh, significant indebtedness. And look at your driving record. Absolutely. Okay, remember now, we, the, the uh, personnel security community, has access not only to government records, government databases that hold that information, but also commercially available um, electronic information that will be aggregated and contain information about bankruptcies uh, that have been filed through the courts, uh, the court records, the sex offender registry, um, bank liens, tax delinquency, all that information is publicly available. And so through the use of technology, applying our business rules for uh, federal investigations, we can check these databases daily, like I said, on a continuous basis. So there's a lot of myth and misconception associated with that. I've heard it called continuous surveillance. This is not surveillance. Everyone who holds a clearance has signed authorization and disclosure forms that give the government the ability or actually authorization to conduct employment checks. And that's exactly what these are. We will check the credit bureaus, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian. And they will not, these checks are provided by your employer and they do not constitute hard hits on your credit because I get asked that a lot. You know, hard hits will affect your credit score. Employment checks do not. Uh, we're going to check FBI arrest records, but we're also going to check the arrest records of your municipality where you live or where you work. Again, one of the greatest tips I can give you as a clearance holder is just to know what your reporting requirements are, and you don't have to guess. Uh, they are outlined in policy that is provided to every clearance holder. But then also remember that one event doesn't necessarily mean your credit, I mean not your credit, your, uh, your clearance will be at risk. For example, you may have incurred excessive indebtedness because of a, a divorce perhaps. Again, that happens, that's a myth, that's potentially a mitigating situation. Student loans? Student loans. 
uh, other life situations. So when you're asked by an investigator, tell them everything. Something that you did uh, might prevent you from getting a clearance, but not telling the investigator of something will. and the government finding out definitely will. And why is that? It calls into question your truthfulness, your reliability, your integrity. Why is that important as a clear clearance holder? We have to be able to assess whether or not you will be able to adequately protect classified information, classified material, or information about that sensitive position that you hold. So what are we looking for? We're looking for personal honesty, integrity. We're, we're looking for an individual that cannot be coerced because of involvement in criminal activity that they're trying to hide, that kind of thing. And also, I will say, yes. Yes, it is a myth. Um, what we ask, one of the things that we tell people is, while you are processing, um, the information is contained in your SF-86 and all this documentation. But once you have your clearance, as Anita stated, you have reporting requirements. If you are, well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to go into this. If you have a top secret clearance with sensitive compartmented information, you have four lifetime, well, three lifetime obligations and another obligation that while you're holding your clearance, you must report to your security officer, okay? And the first one is, obviously, you cannot divulge classified information. That seems like it makes sense. Second, if you hear somebody else divulging classified information, you're supposed to report that, again, to your security officer, all right? The third lifetime obligation is what they call pre-publication review, which basically means if you're going from one job to another and you're going to put your resume together, let the agency that, is that has processed you for clearance look at your resume to make sure that you're not revealing any secrets or classified information in that resume before you present it to someone else. And the fourth obligation, as I said, that is only while you are in access, is to report your foreign travel. For example, they don't want you, just as Snowden did, to take off without telling anybody that you're there and then look at what happened. So that was a requirement that he did not meet and in effect, that breached the contract that he signed for his security clearance. And he, okay. was, and, uh, the other, he was a contractor too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was We are both government. federal government employees and we have to get approval. I do, I do. do. And we, I mean, we have automated system to set it up, but your supervisor have to approve. You go on a cruise mm -hmm. if you go outside of the U.S. And also asks you in our agency, do you plan on visiting an embassy while you're there? Okay, so that's another thing that they um, ask for for foreign travel. You're listening to Want a Security Clearance? This is what you need to know: a professional development seminar, featuring Doretta Boazzo, Robin Johnson, and Anita Hawkins. Brought to you by the Global Catalyst for Change the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference, where we make the untapped potential possible. Be sure to check out our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. One other thing I would like to say is that um, 
uh, friends. Um, I, um, you have to be careful of that. Well, I already had a, a girlfriend who hadn't been a U.S. citizen. She uh, married a military guy. She was from England, and she came here under her, her visa with her American um, Navy husband, and she just happened to live down the street from me, and one day, her daughter and my daughter were friends. My daughter said, Mom, Sherelle, Mom wants to know she can borrow a pamper. What? And so I don't know these people. So I was like, okay, here's Sherelle, you know, here's your pampers. And then so I noticed that she had an accent. And my daughter came back and said, where is she from? She said, oh, they're from England. I was like, okay. And, um, but her mom is not my friend, but we became friends. And I know on a security form, it says that, do you have contact with foreign nationals? So is she a foreign national? She's not a US citizen? Yes, even though she has a green card. So I had to go to security and say, hey, this lady lived on the street for me. Uh, she borrowed a couple of pampers one day. Uh, she seemed like she a little bit in distress. She got some problems, you know. I've been helping her out, and you know, kind of sort of she my friend now. Uh, but she doesn't have any influence over me. That's the key. Okay. That, that person does not have an influence over you. I will tell you another thing um, that is coming up as a result of this. When we talk about the fact that anything that is in the public eye can be used as part of your investigation, it's the same thing for all the things like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I actually had one, um, one of my uh, cases was a young girl who, um, on Facebook, she did a lot of underage drinking and put those pictures up. So when she went through her investigation, it actually stopped her because she kept all this stuff out in the public eye and never let the investigators know it when they asked her. Because, you know, she had her, her parents weren't into her Facebook account, but the investigators were able to get the information and they said to her, do you realize that you're drinking and you're not legally allowed to drink? And she said, all oh, my friends do it. It's like, that's not gonna work. So she was denied the clearance and told that there could be a time when she could get a clearance, but not while she was knowingly breaking the law. Well, she turned 21, had a number of other jobs, came back to our company, was processed for clearance, and she passed, you know, I mean, she was like 23, 24 at the time, but it was a, it was a length of time that had happened, and they could see that she had matured and was willing to understand that following the law is what we would want somebody to do if they are going to be protecting the most important thing, which is our, our country. I mean, one of the things I, I like to ask people to remember is think of the thing that is the most important to you or the person that's the most important to you. You wouldn't want someone that you couldn't trust, someone that told lies, or someone that um, you knew had the ability and probably would sell them out or hurt them to take care of them for you. Well. It's the same thing with our country. We have a lot of benefits by being U.S. citizens, and we have to maintain that. And so these are the things that are very important in assessing the character of someone who has a clearance. So with that, we're going to go on to say what happens, okay? When you have a clearance with a sensitive, yes, sir. So after all the documentation has been gathered on our, the person, mm -hmm. what uh, standards are assessed whether the person's approved or denied for this? Experience? Okay, we're going to get into that now. Okay, 
So they go through all of those things and they gather all that paperwork. And I'm going to talk about the, um, the polygraph, which is a, a, a part of the um, sensitive compartmented information section. But I'm actually going to let Anita talk about the standards for adjudication because we were discussing that before this started, okay? Um, a trained government adjudicator will, will gather all of that paperwork and the results that were um, put together by the investigators. And then they generally will put all the document together and they have it in probably about, I guess, about a year, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll say for somebody who was born in the United States, went to college in the United States, and lived here all their lives, didn't travel overseas, okay? All right. Now, um, some of these things would cause delays in the processing, as you can imagine, if the information isn't accurate, if the phone number that you gave for, uh, I don't know, the registrar's office of your college, and then they had to look it up, everything that delays your process delays your process. As I said, you only have a few people working on all these cases, and we are trying to get it into an electronic system, but you can imagine that just as you are different from the person next to you, the paperwork is different. The way people write it, the way people present the information, the way the information is even stored. A lot of smaller municipalities don't even have things electronic. So if we're looking to see, you know, did you live in this house in the middle of nowhere, where's the deed to that house? Does that house belong to your parents? Did you go to school in this location? Are the school records electronic? Um, and, and they will expand the investigation to clear up any discrepancies. And now I'm going to let Anita talk to you about the adjudication process itself. So the ultimate determination of whether a clearance is granted uh, takes into account the whole person concept. But there are specifically 13 adjudicative guidelines. And I'm just going to read them to you very quickly because I think, for the most part, they're self-explanatory. Allegiance to the United States, foreign influence, foreign preference, sexual behavior, personal conduct, financial considerations, alcohol consumption, drug involvement and substance misuse, psychological conditions, criminal conduct, handling protected information, outside activities and the use of information technology. But in saying that, an adjudicator is also going to look at the nature, the extent, the seriousness of the conduct, how long ago it happened, whether there were mitigating circumstances. So none, no, no single event necessarily uh, will prevent you from being granted the clearance. Even better than that, this information is available for everyone to see and after this, if you're interested, I will give you the uh, web address. Uh, my agency actually posts the policies for not just your reporting requirements, but the adjudicative guidelines as well, so that you don't have to guess. Okay. Um, after the clearance has been granted, and it is time for you to, you, you're um, approved for the clearance, and then you're indoctrinated and you sign all those forms, and then those or obligations um, become part of your life. Some of the other things that you are required to report are things like a marriage, a divorce. Um, if you come into an inheritance of a lot of money, you should report those. Because as you can imagine, with the continuous evaluation process, some of that information is going to start trickling in. We're supposed to hear it from you first, OK? Because if someone ends up with a lot of money for some reason, it's like, well, how did you get that? Why did you get that? Did you sell something illegally to get that? I mean, 
you know, we're not talking about a lottery ticket for $50. We're talking about, I'm, you know, a millionaire all of a sudden. Uh, you start driving a fancy car, people are going to be concerned about where did that money come from. So if you have um, inexplicable affluence or something has happened, you need to talk to your security officer about that. I've had people who have had to come and talk to me because with the housing market changing the way it is, they went underwater. And so now they had a real hit on their credit report, but not only that, they were trying to figure out a way to get out from under it. Well, you know some of those commercials on TV that said, come and see me, I'll buy your house. This, believe it or not, not all those people are reputable. So talk to, your, talk to your security officer. They will probably recommend that you're working with a particular attorney or whatever, and then they will take that information and pass that on to the agency that holds your clearance. So if you're happily, I mean, if you happen to be working with someone who is not reputable, the agency, because you are an asset to the U.S. government when you hold a clearance, they will come and talk to you about that. Um, one of the things I, I want to caution you about is when you are cleared and you are working on specific things, your clearance is not the same as the person next to you. You may be working on the same program, but you may be working on a different part. So I encourage you that even if your friend um, is cleared, as I said, to the top secret SCI level, that you don't necessarily share what you're working on unless you are, in fact, working with them on a project at work side by side, okay? Because different programs, even within a company, are susceptible to not only um, security clearance stuff, but economic espionage. I mean, you've all seen and heard the stories about people whose stock changed because somebody had insider information and that kind of stuff. Those things are important, too, to companies, all right? Okay. If you happen to have a clearance denied, and it's not all that unusual, um, as I said, sometimes it's for something just because it, the frequency of an underage drinking situation, you can appeal a security clearance. I would recommend that if you do decide you want to appeal a clearance, you would work with the agency uh, that denied. They will give you the um, proper procedures on how to appeal it. Uh, they'll give you the opportunity to talk about whatever it is. They'll tell you. They will not tell the security officer or your manager why you were denied the clearance, but they will come to you and say, you've been denied because of this. It will come to you in a registered letter, and they will tell you how you can appeal it. Um, there might be a case where it's something as casual as you talking to them directly yourself and being able to respond, or you may want to hire specifically an attorney who deals with security clearances because there are a number in the area because naturally we have a large number of cleared individuals that live in the uh, Baltimore, Washington area. Okay. One thing I want you to remember is just like we, we used to hear when we got our driver's license. <laughs> Having a security clearance is a privilege. It's not a right. Not everybody gets one. Not everybody is permitted to um, maintain one. So in accepting the clearance for access, you are in fact saying, I will comply with all the security regulations, I will comply to the standards of conduct, and I will report to the security office the things that I need to report um, for the appropriate authority to take care of this information and to protect the United States. Again, I have the comment about it being a lifelong, lifelong obligation. So even if you stop working for a company, um, and I'm going to use this as an example. My son worked for uh, Bureau of Labor and Statistics. So he had a top secret clearance with the Bureau of Labor and Statistics. 
And in, uh, after four years of working there, he quit his job, but he still had that lifelong obligation. Well, now he works in Florida. He rents chairs and umbrellas on the beach, really not the kind of thing that you need a security clearance for. But when he um, is, is down there, if any of these things come up, if he were to be exposed to classified information or hear someone talking or decided he wanted to write a resume, he would be required to submit that information too. And so it doesn't go away. Um, so that's something to think about. And it, it, it should give you some comfort in the fact that security clearances can be reinstated if you've been out of the system for a while. You talk to your security officers once they've been, you know, you've been vetted for a position. And your security officer can help you fill out the proper paperwork, put it in the right order, and get the process started for you again. I can pay to be a security officer. <coughs> I am not um, a government citizen. I work for General Dynamics. And this is my job. I have been doing it for 15 years. Um, my background's in broadcasting, so I don't have any STEM stuff. <laughs> but I interview people well. Um, so this job is kind of a natural for me. I, there are opportunities to move up in this position. Um, you know, generally, you start out at a low level, um, seriously just you know, doing admin kind of things. And then you can kind of move into the collection of the paperwork, the putting the paperwork together. And then you start becoming a, a trusted resource by the agencies so that they know that when you come to them with someone who has a question or you have a question about a particular case, they'll work with you. They'll, they'll help schedule your people a little faster for some things, because polygraphs take forever to get people through the polygraph process. Um, and then you become a trusted official of your company and a trusted associate of the people that have clearances. Because if you have a clearance, you want a security clearance officer to walk with you through your career. Because Anything can happen. I had, a, I had a young woman who was on a trip across the western United States. She went through Dodge City, and there literally was a police officer behind a billboard. You know, you see that on the Wile E. Coyote thing? The guy was sitting behind there, and she zipped through, and she had a speeding ticket of like 300, it was like 300 and some dollars. Well, anything over 250 has to be repaid. And I mean, you can imagine how wide open it was out there. And she really wasn't going. Well, I think she was going like 92, but all right, I drive the Beltway, let's be honest. So, um, you know, she got pulled over and she says, I'm so embarrassed. I, she said, I do. I feel like Wiley Coyote chasing, you know, he was Wiley Coyote chasing the Roadrunner. And we put it in the paperwork while she, I mean, she had her clearance already. It was reported. It was no problem. She didn't lose her clearance, you know. And I will tell you, she's been back out there. She just doesn't drive so fast. So. <laughs> Okay, um, these are three websites that have information um, about security clearances. I mean, I'm sure you can Google some things, um, but I will tell you that if you're interested specifically in government clearances, these are three really good um, websites. And as Anita says, she has access to information that she can share with you too. And I thank you very much for coming. And uh, if you have any particular questions, feel free. That uh, you need to be a U.S. citizen to get the security clearance, mm -hmm. uh, but there are a lot of contractors uh, that have jobs that uh, that interest like visa holders. Mm -hmm. Why can't visa holders get security clearance? A visa holder will be able to get um, access to proprietary information based on what the company needs you to have, because it would be proprietary information for the company. Depending on the government agency. 
the government agency sets the standard for whatever the process is. So if you had a visa and you were, you're not a US citizen, they can't expect you to have loyalty to the United States. They would assume you would continue your loyalty to your, your country that you were born to protect, not necessarily the United States. So that's why that's kind of a, a, fuzzy, a fuzzy edge to why it would be difficult to get a government, a U.S. government clearance if you're not a U.S. citizen. But are there any other clearances that would still allow? As I said, there are proprietary clearances within the companies themselves. Within the companies mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Sure. Hi. I have two questions. Yes. So the first one is about um, mental illness. Mm -hmm. If a person has a diagnosed mental illness that's being properly treated by a doctor and they're on medication, let's say like bipolar disorder, mm -hmm. Would that rule them out? Or? Nope, not at all. Mm -mm. You're under a doctor's care, and the doctor would be investigated as part of your investigation and determine if the doctor determines that you're stable enough and that there isn't any problem, they wouldn't, that would not be a disqualifying factor at all. However, comma, um, she works at a contractor, uh, as contractor, um, and as a government employee for the national security agencies, our process is a little bit different. Okay, um, not only do we go through the uh, rigors of, um, of what um, Donata said. Psychological evaluation. Yes, mm -hmm. we have to undergo a psychological investigation. And what that really means is that on that form, because it happened to me, on the form it, um, it asks you, have you ever uh, seek mental health? That's it, that's the only thing it asks, right? Um, in the past, we were using the military. Um, military people did not seek mental uh, um, mental health help because there was always a stigma, and um, back then it, you would lose your security clearance. Now, fast forward to 2020, a lot of military people have PTSD, so it's not a it's not a disqualifier. Okay, so in a, in my agency, um, you write that down, and then the next part is to go take a psychological exam and actually meet with a, um, um, a psychiatrist who sits there and starts asking you questions based on um, they already have your records. For me, um, one particular question when I was a contractor, it asked, have you ever sought mental health before? And I said yes. And then I explained it. I was going through a divorce or whatever, right? When I became a government employee, like maybe 10 years later, I checked that box no. Because I thought that it was enough time had passed. So when I talked to the psychiatrist, he said, why'd you check the box no? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he had all my records from being a contractor and he said, well, back in 2006, you checked yes, what's that going on? I was like, oh, snap. And I said, I wasn't trying to, um, to um, like to, you know, hide anything or whatever, right? He said, oh, no, 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 that's no problem. He said, you know, um, we encourage you to get mental health when you need it, and they determine if you're under the doctor's care, because we have real psychiatrists at the NSA, and um, um, that's not a disqualifier. I have four people, a guy to sit right next to me who snorts and picks boogers and stuff like that, and uh, he takes anxiety medicine, and when I know something is off, he'll tell me, I gotta go. I'm like, okay, my immediate manager is on anxiety medicine, and her son, so I say no, it's not a disqualifier. 
by policy, by, but not right. necessarily at this point. Okay, thank you. Sure. Then yeah, we need everybody. Okay. okay. And then the other question is about um, having a criminal record. So, first of all, do they check all the way back to when an individual was 18? Mm -hmm. And secondly, are there some criminal convictions from the past that are not disqualifying, like if it was, you know, something minor versus yes. are there cutoffs like, oh, if it's a felony, you'll never get a security. I case. think um, I I don't know that much about it, but I do believe that if it's a felony, um, it it is more potentially a, a disqualifier than not. But I do believe that they will look into the situation to figure out exactly what the situation was. For example, if it was in self defense and someone was um, injured or something like that, that would be something that they would have to look at. I don't really know that answer, I mean, specifically, because I've never run into that, and I uh, have not been aware of anyone who's had a clearance denied um, for that reason. As I said, they don't tell me, um, you know, but I, I think the felony may be the cutoff. You can probably look in some of these, um, on some of these sites and have that stuff clearly, clearly outlined. Because as Anita said, in the adjudication guidelines, that stuff is written down. I mean, they can't just <coughs> randomly say, I don't know, I didn't meet this person, I didn't. It, there is a, there's a method that is um, a yardstick that is used. So there are some federal offenses that are disqualifiers for top secret clients that might not apply to secret or confidential way. Thank you. Sure. One, thank you guys for uh, for, for having this uh, more uh, apropos uh, uh, session. Um, I had a top secret clearance um, when I was interning um, at the Defense Information Systems Agency, Satellite Communications Defense Network Planning. Yes, sir. And yeah, mm -hmm. um, and um, unfortunately, after two years of interning, I got into you know private uh, 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 private industry. And I lost that clearance. And uh, for those in the room, if you ever get a top secret clearance, do everything you can do to keep it. Um, but did you lose it because the project that you went on to didn't require? I it? lost it. I got. I, I was trying to go back to uh, to DISA after uh -huh. graduation. Bill Clinton mm -hmm. uh, was kind of shutting down the budget, so I went uh, to go get my master's and um, started working for Cellular One, boom, 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 I'm with AT&T. And okay. I actually work on the first net and 5G um, right now. So I'm looking actually for, just to get back home to the DC area, um, is it better, will I have a better chance um, getting a, a clearance faster uh, than most because I had a top secret clearance, but it was so far in the past, or does that clock and, and, and discernment start all over from square one? The clock starts from square one. However, mm -hmm. if they have that block of information mm -hmm. and they have, say it was from the time you were 18 to you were 25. Right. If you had a top secret at that time, mm -hmm. they'll go back and get those records. Okay. And yeah. they'll be kept in one place. Okay. So they'll be able to pull those and that will help them not have to go back to that small town to find that information sure. in the court records because it's already there. Good, good, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Um, I wanna to touch on one thing, we didn't talk about that, it's not on the slide, about income. 
Okay, because we had the slides up there to talk about how you get a clearance and you know why you need a clearance, but we didn't talk about how much money you can make with a top security clearance. Um, most people, not most, at my agency for contractors, depending on what your skill set is, if you are um, in the IT realm or software developer or you have a skill set and data scientist or cloud computing or engineering, um, we don't build things. So I'm not talking about like Northrop Grumman or anything like airplanes. I'm talking about at the National Security Agency where we need young people like you. If you are a contractor, that adds at least twenty to $30,000 in addition to your base salary. So you could graduate from college, UMBC, um, the local colleges in this area, and based on your skill set, not experience, because you don't have experience yet, but just based on that, you could make up to, I'll say, say like a six figures, right? Um, the workforce at the NSA agency, we get a little bit older, and they're projected in a couple of years that the baby boomers will be retiring. So we need young people to come take over the world and to fill our shoes um, so we can have a data dump onto the young people. So I just wanted to say that This commercial was brought to you by the National Security Agency. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I'm, well, I'm talking about like as a contractor. As a government employee, um, we don't make as much, but it's the love of the country and, and all the skills and the education and training that the agency allows me to do. Okay, so I just wanted to talk about the money aspect because I know young people like money, so you know that that helps too. That is a plus, I have to say, as a contractor, that's a plus. Yes. I would also like to thank you for participating in this panel. Um, I had a question, kind of relating to what I asked earlier about um, citizenship. Um, so let's say I'm from Grenada and I have a connection with my family. I try to go back and see them about like once a year around Christmas time. But I study here in the US and there's a lot of job opportunities that I'm looking forward to but I have to have a certain level of clearance. Is there any hope for me even though I have like a US citizenship? I know I might not be able to get like top level security which I understand but I do want to see, I want to hope that doors are not necessarily being closed they are I'm not connected to my Grenadian family. If you are a US citizen and you have family members that are not US citizens, that is part of the investigation process mm -hmm. and sometimes you can't work on particular programs but you can work on something else. Okay. And so your clearance would have what they would call a waiver mm -hmm. attached to it, which means you can work on A, B, and C but you might not be able to work on X, Y, and Z. Okay. So whereas um, as time goes on, depending on you know how often you see your family, I mean we've had people who have never even met some of their parents. Um, and so it's not really a problem depending on what they're working on. The clearance is given to you by the government based on your need to know because of the program that you're working on. You can't just walk in and say, I would like a clearance. It's like, why? Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, people who brush dogs don't need clearances, <laughs> but people who build airplanes do. So it's, it's that kind of a thing. If you just do a Google search, okay? Mm -hmm. Top secret security clearance jobs. Okay, and do you mm -hmm. think it would be better for me to work in the U.S. government or for a contractor? Uh, we can, we can I don't talk offline. If anybody wanted about the money train, see me in the hallway, okay? 
I just mean like for. Um, I would suggest that you find something that you would truly be fulfilled doing. Yes. Okay. And do it because okay. even though you have a clearance, the people that you work with are going to make the difference as to whether or not you want to go to work every day. Yes, okay. that's true too. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Sure. Good afternoon. I know Hi. you guys were talking about uh, asking everybody, a lot of different people, about the person themselves. Mm -hmm. I was wondering how much like does another person's actions on their own determine your security clearance, like mm. what they do, like what, your parents. Or yeah. your my mom was an IV drug user my whole life. Okay. And so on my uh, paperwork, it doesn't ask <laughs> about your mom. It asks about uh, it asked about me. And so when I take my polygraph test, they kind of prep you. I'm sorry, we didn't talk about polygraph a little bit, but um, um, for, for our clearances the NSA, you have to take a full scope poly. You only gotta take it once. But the full scope means they ask you everything that's on your SF-86, you know. Um, and so um, one of the questions was like, um, ask about drugs, have you ever used drugs? And I was like, uh, yes. You know, I smoke marijuana, and he says, "Oh, okay." And then a polygraph person may kind of like unpack it for you, and start asking questions about, well, how much did you buy, or how much did you do, or whatever. And I said, "Oh, my mom gave it to me," or you know, and um, but it was a long, long, long time ago. But that was not to fault of my own, or if you had a derogatory thing about like. Some, my mom, I think, or my brother, I'm from Detroit, uh, they had got credit in my name or something that I knew nothing about. And the investigator said, well, you owe $1,000 to the electric company. I'm like, whoa, I don't live there. I left there 20 years ago. I said, oh, that must have been my family. So as long as you, usually the investigator can find that out before you take your poly, but as long as you have a rationale or a reason, because you may not have known, and then my investigator says, you know what, that came on your credit report, so make sure you pull that first, you know, so you'll know. So I had to go to the credit reporting agency. Um, he told me to, to um, he told me write up a statement and then go to the credit reporting agency and dispute those things that was on my credit report. I do know a contractor who lost his clearance, clearance was revoked, because of the illegal activities of his wife. Clearance was revoked, however, over time he was able to show that he had no knowledge and his clearance was reinstated. So yes, your contacts with family, with friends, does matter. Okay, thank you. Also, uh, like, s s similar, uh, if you have, let's say, a spouse, are, you have top level security clearance. Like you can't tell them anything. It doesn't matter who. Like if you, they are a spouse. You're not going to want to talk about work when you're home anyway. <laughs> you really aren't. <laughs> so I ask you: One, are they clear? Secondly, do they have a need to know? Right. Yes. Hi. Um, so I recently went through like a really long, <laughs> about a year process trying to work for my local sheriff's office just as a civilian position. Mm -hmm. And I made it all the way up to like um, the polygraph and I didn't get to take it or anything like that. Is that something that they would be able to pull? Oh, like, they'll pull it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's public record. It was connected or. Yeah, it's or public not. record and they will use that information as part of the investigation that they're looking for. Okay. And um, right now I'm trying to uh, get into Army civilian 
things, mm -hmm. um, just as internships. Mm -hmm. Do you think that I'll have to go through any security clearance for that? Um, it would. You'll probably go through some of the just as, just as if you were going to get a job anywhere. I mean, you know, if you're if you to go to the sweet potato pie bakery, you're going to have to sign a non-disclosure agreement because it's class. It's it's not classified, but it is proprietary to that information. Mm -hmm. It will be still same thing with the army. You if you're going to work for the army, you're going to know things about the army, and they will have their own non-disclosure agreement. I was an army civilian for a while myself. Um, but I actually had a higher clearance prior to going to the Army. I had worked for NSA, and then I went to work for the Army, and what happened is my clearance came with me because it was part of the Department of Defense. So it, it, as long as I maintained the um, reinvestigation period, the clearance held. It just was no longer an NSA clearance. It became a Department of Defense clearance under the Army. When I describe clearances to people and I can draw pictures. I usually draw the clearance thing as an umbrella. And you know how the umbrella has those little pointy things at the bottom? The umbrella is the Department of Defense. Those little pointy things at the bottom are the different agencies that are underneath the Department of Defense or work with the Department of Defense. So if you're in the Army, you don't need to know what the Navy's doing. I mean, unless you're on a joint mission. But for the most part, you working for the Army as a civilian, they will be using the information that you provided in their investigation when they go back to the Sheriff's Department and find out what the Sheriff was looking for. And then they will add to that for their own needs. I mean, I'm relatively young and they went, I think, only back to 18. Mm -hmm. So for security purposes, would they go back farther? They go back to that? 16. Usually as soon as you can get a job. Oh, okay. Well, I was 15 you know. when I got a job. So. There you go. They'll probably go back there. Anybody else have any other questions? Well, I thank you very, very much for attending my session. I appreciate it. Um, I hope you gained a lot of knowledge and that you'll take this with you. And good luck in your job searches. And uh, as I said, you know, General Dynamics would love to have you stop by our booth down on <laughs> Order National Security Agency, okay? We have recruiters down there too. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to Want a Security Clearance? This is What You Need to Know, a professional development seminar. Featuring Industrial Security Officer for General Dynamics Corporation, Doretta Boazzo, Senior Information System Security Engineer for the National Security Agency, Robin Johnson, and Program Manager for Continuous Evaluation for the U.S. Intelligence Community, Anita Hawkins. If you have enjoyed this presentation, be sure to attend the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference. For more information on how you, your company, or organization can take part, visit www.bea.org. For college students, contact us at 410-244-7101.